This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include strong language and mature themes. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 349. Learning the Ropes, a House of Bellevue story, written by L.C. Williams. Three. When Natasha came to her senses again, she was lying flat on her back, with a warm, soft body nestled in beside her. Samar had one arm draped over Natasha's belly, her hand lightly stroking up and down the skin. Natasha turned her head, saw the sensualist's dark eyes watching her with a quiet, gentle attentiveness. Welcome back, Samar said. Natasha tried to sit up, but her head started swimming with vertigo. She lay back down again, groaning. Easy, Samar cautioned. You gave Madeline a piece of your life force. Your body needs time to recover. Gave? Natasha thought back to that knowing look that had passed between her and Russo. If you want to use the safe word, you can, she'd said. But Natasha hadn't wanted to. She had known what Russo was, and she'd still chosen to stay. Yes, gave seemed to be the right word for it. Will it hurt me? she asked. Samar shrugged one shoulder. It would have done, if she had taken too much, but Madeline has been visiting me for a while now, and she seems to have her appetites under control. I believe it helps when she can divide her attention between two partners at once. Natasha lifted her head enough to look around the room. There was no sign of Russo. Where is she? Gone, Samar said, with a note of sadness in her voice. I wish she would stay. Aftercare is important in power exchange, and I don't charge extra for the time. What is aftercare? Natasha asked. Samar lifted her hand, gesturing down at the two of them. This, she said. Closeness, gentle touch, talking. It helps both parties to let go of their roles, to reassure one another after the scene is over. That wistful sadness crept into her voice again. I do not think Madeline is at peace with what she is, so she leaves before she is forced to confront it. She sighed. I kept welcoming her back because I hoped that one day she would stay, that she would let down her defenses enough to talk to me. But that seems unlikely to happen now. Natasha winced. Duh. We have received orders. Soon we will be sent to the front, to the Iron Griffins. Samar sucked in a breath between her teeth. Oh, Natasha, I am so sorry. 
Natasha lifted one hand, spread it outward in a vague, what-can-you-do gesture. It is war, and Tevain needs us. She turned and pressed a kiss to Samar's forehead. But I am glad that I came here first. What you have shown me tonight, it feels important. Like piece of myself I did not know was there. Samar's lip quirked, that hint of a smile that Natasha found so reassuring. I believe you are right, and if the Great Maker should allow our paths to cross again, it would be my honor to help you learn more about it. Thoughtfully, Natasha nodded. I would like that very much, Simar. The city was quiet as Natasha made her way back toward camp. The taverns had closed for the night, and few windows still had lamps lit within. The moon was slipping toward the horizon, and the narrow streets were blanketed in deep shadow. Nevertheless, Natasha had the keen sense that she was being watched. She pretended not to notice until she was out of the residential neighborhood, back among the shuttered storefronts and restaurants of the downtown district. Then she turned to the shadows and said, You can come out now. For a long moment, the chirping and buzzing of nighttime insects were her only answer. Then a humanoid form melted out of the shadows, a dozen paces behind her, and made its way out into the street. Russo's eyes were no longer actually glowing, but they gleamed like a predator's in the lamplight as she approached. She still had the horns and tail, and while it was hard to make out colors in the dim light, her skin tone seemed a few shades deeper than usual. Her face held a wary expression as she looked Natasha up and down. It's dangerous to walk alone after dark, she said at last. Her voice had that hard, brittle edge that Natasha had noticed earlier in the evening. I figured I'd better keep an eye on you. First Sergeant Clyburn wouldn't appreciate it if I took you out for the night and you got robbed. Thank you, Natasha said. After a moment, she added, You could have just come with me. You did not have to hide. Russo snorted, looked down at her feet. Her tail waved in slow, wary ripples, as if she were a cat caught in unfamiliar territory. Most people don't want to be seen with me when I'm like this. It leaves a bad impression. Natasha took a few steps closer, stopping when they were within arm's reach. Russo did not back away. Her tail kept up its slow, uneasy dance. Natasha studied her horns, her gleaming eyes, the hard but beautiful lines of her face. This does not seem so scary to me, she said, a hint of a smile on her lips. Russo looked up, surprise written over her features. She covered the expression and turned away just as quickly. Samar didn't think so either, she said quietly. She was the first girl I ever fucked who let me come back, after she saw what I was. Natasha nodded once. How long does it take before you can change back? Russo shrugged. Depends. Best I've managed was half an hour or so. My matriarch said I'd get faster if I'd practice more, but... I don't know. It's not easy finding a safe place to do it. And I have other things to do. It was a casual, well-practiced excuse, Natasha thought, a lie she had probably told herself a thousand times. 
she remembered what Samar had said about Russo not being at peace with what she was. Well, we do not have to go back to camp now, Natasha said. There are inns in town. Let me buy us room for the night. You don't have to do that, Russo said, the words coming out as if by reflex. She still wouldn't meet Natasha's eyes. I can take you back to the gate and then just walk around the hills for a bit until I can change back. It's not a problem. I was actually sort of looking forward to it. Madeline. Gently, Natasha reached out and put a hand on Russo's shoulder. The succubus startled, her tail sticking out straight behind her. But she did not pull away. After a moment, Natasha reached out with her other hand, softly touching the side of Russo's chin. Slowly, she turned Russo's face to hers. Those amber eyes looked up at her, wide and uncertain, like an animal that was experiencing kindness for the first time and had no idea how to respond to it. Stay with me, Natasha said gently. Please. Russo's mouth opened, closed again. She swallowed hard, then said in a hoarse whisper, All right. Natasha was back in the part of town she knew now, so she led the way to an inn a few blocks down the street. Russo was uncharacteristically quiet, and Natasha did not try to press her into making conversation. Truth be told, she did not mind sharing space in silence. Notwithstanding her fumbling conversations with the baker's daughter, she had never been a chatty person, not even in her native language. Russo waited by the door while Natasha went inside to request a room. It took longer than she would have liked, and she was half afraid that Russo's nerve would break and she would disappear into the darkness. She was still there when Natasha came back with the key, though, leaning against the wall in a convenient pool of shadow. She fell into step wordlessly behind Natasha and followed her up the back staircase to their room. The furnishings inside were sparse. One bed big enough for two people, a nightstand, a wooden chair, and a single gaslight fixture with a washroom down the hall. But the bed was far softer than the cots in the barracks, and the sheets smelled fresh and clean. It was the most luxury Natasha had seen in a long time, and more than they were likely to see again for the foreseeable future. It was late enough now that most soldiers would call it early, and by unspoken agreement, Natasha and Russo immediately began stripping back down for bed. Natasha kept sneaking glances at Russo out of the corner of her eye, curious for a better look at her transformed body. She definitely looked softer and more feminine, Natasha thought, with more rounded curves and fuller breasts than she remembered seeing on Russo in the communal showers. She wondered if those changes were something Russo had any control over, or if they were just part of her nature as a succubus. One time she caught Russo's sneaking glances at her body, too, her eyes lingering on the well-toned muscles of Natasha's arms and abdomen. Their eyes met, just for a moment, and then they both quickly looked away again. With both of them stripped down to chemise and drawers, Natasha put out the light, and they climbed into bed more or less in unison. Russo lay down facing away from Natasha, her long, supple tail tucked in close against the back of her legs. Natasha nestled in behind her, draping one arm over Russo's waist. Immediately, she felt the woman's muscles go tense. 
What are you doing? Russo asked. She sounded like she wasn't sure whether to feel angry or frightened or just confused. Natasha thought a moment, then said, Aftercare. Russo snorted derisively. <laughs> You've been talking to Samar. Natasha shrugged one shoulder, though she knew Russo couldn't see it. This was why you brought me to her, da? Russo said nothing. It must be very hard for you, Natasha observed. You feel like you must hide what you are, what you need to live. So you trick people into letting you feed on them. But this other thing you need, this power exchange, it only works if everyone is honest. If you say what you need and the other person agrees, tricking them would break this trust, duh? Rusa remained silent a moment longer. Then she let out a short, bitter laugh. <laughs> and here everyone in camp thinks you're slow, she muttered. What's your point, Volkova? Natasha pulled herself a little closer to Russo, her mouth just behind her ear. I think the honest way is better, she said gently. Maybe if you did not hide so much, you would find people who will give you what you need. Because they want to. She lowered her mouth and kissed the side of Russo's neck. Russo made a strangled sound of frustration. She flipped over to face Natasha, grabbed a fistful of Natasha's chemise, and pulled until they were nose to nose. There was a little light coming into the room from the street lamps outside, and Natasha's eyes had adjusted enough to see the look of pain and anger on her face. What do you know about it, farm girl? she hissed. You think I hide what I am because I like hiding? Plenty of people still call us demon spawn. If the wrong person learns the truth about me, I'm dead, and there's not a damned thing I can do about it. You don't know what that feels like. Natasha frowned, more confused than hurt by Russo's outburst. But I do, she said. Everything you just said. This is how my country treats inverts. Russo's eyes widened. Natasha thought she saw a flicker of yellow light in them, just for a moment. The woman's mouth rounded into a small O of horrified realization. Fuck. That's right, she whispered. Her grip loosened on Natasha's shirt, and Natasha reached up and covered one hand with her own. Her fingers curled into Russo's palm, squeezed. You showed me that I did not have to hide with you, Natasha said, the words coming out low and gentle. And you do not have to hide with me, either. Perhaps now we can both be what the other needs. Then she leaned in and kissed her. Russo returned the kiss for a long moment, moaning against Natasha's lips. When Natasha reached up and put a hand on her breast, though, she abruptly broke away. Damn it. Couscous, she said. Natasha remembered the safe word. She broke away and sat up, frowning in confusion. She turned on the light again and looked at Russo carefully. She looked about as disappointed as Natasha felt. You do not want to have sex again, 
she asked, confused. Russo winced. She rolled over and sat up on the opposite side of the bed, facing away from Natasha. No, I mean, yes, I mean... Fuck. She hung her head, let out a loud sigh of frustration. <sighs> it wasn't supposed to happen like this. It was supposed to be a one-time thing. Clean, simple, and then I'm gone. You're not supposed to... get attached. Natasha cocked her head. Why not? I like you. Russo pressed her fingertips into her temples, rubbed at them like she felt a headache coming on. I like you too, Volkova. But I can't be your... your girlfriend. That did hurt. Why not? Natasha asked again, this time with a little more force behind the words. Because it would kill you, Russo snapped. She got up and stalked over to the window, leaned both hands on the sill and stared out at the night. Her whipcord tail was lashing back and forth behind her in agitation. Natasha's heart was a tangle of emotions, one that she didn't have time to unravel right now. She tried to step back from her feelings and make sense of what Russo was saying. This is about the... the energy you take, she said. Yes, Russo said. Then, more quietly, feeding on someone once or twice is fine. It doesn't hurt them. Even what I've been doing with Samar is all right. She's expensive enough that I have to space it out between paychecks. But a steady girlfriend? She shook her head. I would take your life energy faster than you could regenerate it. One day, your heart would stop, or you'd have a stroke, or you'd just go to sleep and not wake up again. Then you'd be dead, and they'd hang me for murder. And they'd be right to do it. Natasha's stomach gave an uneasy twist inside her. I... I did not know. Russo sighed. You couldn't have known, she said, sounding tired. But it's the truth. She fell silent for a long moment, her eyes fixed on the night sky. At last, she let out a soft, bitter laugh. <laughs> it's some piece of luck, isn't it? Us ending up here, now, together. If we'd met anywhere else. Gods, there's so much more I could have shown you. Maybe I couldn't have been your girlfriend, but we could have had some good times. She shook her head. We should have had our whole lives ahead of us. Instead, we have this. One night in a shitty port on the backside of nowhere. Right before we get sent out to die for this fucking war. Natasha got up and walked over to the window. She wrapped her arms around Russo's waist from behind and held her close. This time Russo did not pull away. Natasha could hear her sniffling back tears. She'd never seen Russo this vulnerable before, and she doubted if she ever would again. We do not know what will happen tomorrow, she said gently. You said it yourself. There is no destiny. We might die, we might not. But here? Now? Tonight? We have each other. She rested her chin on Russo's shoulder, 
so their cheeks were touching. And for tonight, I am glad we are not alone. Russo was silent for several heartbeats. Then she turned in Natasha's arms and returned the embrace. So am I, she whispered. Natasha smiled. Not a large smile, certainly not showing her teeth, but a little wider and a little softer than she was used to. She took Russo's hand and led her back to bed. When they finally fell asleep, Russo lay nestled quietly and contentedly in Natasha's arms. Natasha had no idea what time it was when she awoke, but the room was already stuffy with midday heat, and a big black fly was drinking up the sweat on her forehead. She shooed it away and reached over for Russo. The pillow was still dented from where she laid her head the night before, but her spot on the bed was cool to the touch. She got slowly to her feet and stumbled down the hall to the washroom. Russo wasn't there either, but one of the towels had been used and was hanging up to dry. Natasha helped herself to the shower, taking full advantage of the hot running water and the lack of a mandatory five-minute maximum. She wasn't required to report back to camp until the evening mess, so she took her time and enjoyed her last few hours of freedom. She got dressed, paid the innkeeper, and walked a few blocks to the open-air cafe that was a favorite breakfast spot for Company C. Private Andrews was there, looking hungover and nursing a cup of the very strong coffee preferred by the locals. She hadn't seen Russo. Neither had any of the soldiers Natasha talked to. Now feeling somewhat concerned, she hurriedly finished her breakfast and returned to camp. Few members of Company C were back yet, and she passed by rows of empty cots until she came to Russo's assigned spot. Russo's cot wasn't empty. It was missing altogether. Natasha had progressed from concerned to actually worried. She asked around for First Sergeant Clyburn, but she hadn't come back from her leave yet either. As a last resort, she went to the officer's section of the camp, where she begged for an audience with Captain Pollard. The sergeant on duty seemed skeptical that a lowly private had anything to say that was worth the captain's time, but he agreed to forward her message to Pollard. Natasha went back to her barracks and waited with increasing agitation, as other members of the company slowly filtered back in from town. None of them had seen Russo since the night before. After more than an hour, a messenger came to the barracks and brought Natasha back to officer country. The prefab building where they delivered her was not all that much sturdier than a tent, but the noise of the camp became muffled when the door shut behind her. She found Captain Pollard sitting on the edge of her desk, a pair of folding chairs in front of her. The captain bore a slight resemblance to Natasha. Both of them were tall, blonde, and broad-shouldered, though Pollard had an extra twelve years on her and the scars to prove it. Her eyes were also brown, to Natasha's gray, and they were touched by the first hints of crow's feet at the corners. She studied Natasha impassively as she came to attention and saluted. Captain, ma'am, Natasha said. Pollard gave her a small nod. At ease, soldier. Have a seat. She gestured at one of the metal chairs, and Natasha sat. To her surprise, Pollard sat down not behind the desk, but in the other folding chair, which she turned to face her. Less than a foot of space lay between their knees. 
It was an unexpectedly intimate position for an officer to take with one of the soldiers under her command. Natasha didn't know what it meant, but she was sure it wasn't good. You asked about Private Russo, Pollard said. First, let me assure you that she's all right. That is, she hasn't been hurt. Natasha felt a slight easing of the pressure in her chest, but the captain's careful choice of words did not leave her feeling entirely reassured. She nodded once and waited. She came to see me this morning, Pollard went on. She said she wanted to come clean about her... heritage. She didn't disclose her abilities when she was drafted, you see. She'd lived her whole life as a human and wanted to be treated as one. Slowly, Natasha nodded again. I do not think she likes what she is, ma'am. Or, no, she likes what she can do, I think. But she is also afraid of it. That's understandable, Pollard said, her voice sympathetic. But she should have been honest with us from the beginning. Outsiders are segregated from human recruits for a reason. Letting them serve together is bad for discipline. Natasha wondered why the captain meant by this, but Pollard did not seem inclined to explain further. After a moment, she asked, What will happen to her? She's been reassigned, Pollard said. There's an outsider unit in the 297th, Special Operations, Irambian Theater. I'm afraid I can't divulge any specifics on their mission, but they'll put her talents to good use. Natasha felt a flash of anger. She could imagine several ways the brass might exploit Russo's abilities if the stories about succubi were true. Not only could they kill someone with sex, but they could see in perfect darkness, heal themselves of most injuries, fly on huge bat-like wings, and even shapeshift into a variety of human forms. The military applications for such a skill set were unpleasant to contemplate. Pollard, though, must have misinterpreted her expression. I know it probably feels like she weaseled her way off the front lines, she said. But believe me, she isn't getting off easy. Special operations is just as important to the war effort as what the Iron Griffins are doing, and probably even more dangerous. Natasha decided not to correct the captain's misunderstanding. Pushing her feelings back down, she said, I understand, Captain. When is she leaving? I would like to say goodbye. Pollard looked at her pocket watch. Then you'd better hurry. Her ship is at the docks right now. They're leaving within the hour. It took a second for Natasha to process what the captain was saying. Then she leapt to her feet, gave Pollard a sloppy and half-hearted salute, and ran from the room. It was now late afternoon, and the streets were full of soldiers coming back from leave and Fernians going home from work. Pedestrians and cyclists shared the roads with horses, ox carts, and even the occasional auto wagon. Natasha wove her way through the traffic as fast as she dared, and the other pedestrians made way for her, either because of her height or the mingled look of grief and fury on her face. There were several Imperial transport ships docked in the deeper water section of Furnace Harbor, but only one of them was currently taking on cargo, resupplying, no doubt, for the voyage east to Irambi. There was a short line of people waiting to board as well, most of them wearing the dark blue uniforms of enlisted sailors. Natasha scanned the line until she spotted a patch of olive green amidst the blue 
and Russo's raven-black hair above it. Her duffel bag was stuffed to capacity and slung across her back. She was near the middle of the line, but she would be aboard in moments. Natasha ran. Russo, she shouted, and then, louder, Madeline! Russo froze in place, then turned to look, her eyes wide. That wasn't the only attention Natasha got, either. Two MPs intercepted her, grabbing hold of her by both shoulders. Let me go, Mutaki! Natasha snarled. You're not authorized to be here, Private, one of the policemen growled. Russo dropped her bag and ran up to them. Hey, easy there, easy, she said. Though the words were conciliatory, her voice came out sharp and commanding. Private Volkova's not going to blow up the ship or something. Yashua, she just wants to say goodbye. The MPs glowered at Russo, then back at Natasha, before finally letting go of her arms and stepping back a pace. Russo beckoned Natasha over to a spot behind a stack of wooden shipping crates. We don't have long, she said, leaning out and checking the movement of the line. If I'm not on that boat in the next few minutes, they're going to drag me aboard. It did not have to be this way, Natasha said, glaring. You could have stayed. I would not have told your secret. Russo winced and seemed to deflate a little. I believe you she said softly. But, look, I already told you, I can't be in a relationship with anybody. It's not safe to keep feeding on the same person. You could have others, Natasha said, and her voice sounded more pleading than she was comfortable with. We shared some more. We could share again. That's never as easy as people think it is, Russo said tiredly. But even if you're right, even if we could make it work, we couldn't keep it a secret. And once the brass finds out we're together, they'll split us up anyway. She looked down at her boots. Better to make a clean break now before we get too attached. Natasha blinked back frustrated tears. I wish you had talked to me, not slipped out in middle of the night. It wasn't the middle, Russo said. She reached up and touched one palm to Natasha's cheek, meeting her eyes. You held me until morning. I hadn't felt that safe in a long time. I didn't want to leave it. Then don't, Natasha said, reaching up and covering her hand with her own. Russo smiled sadly at her. Too late for that, she said. I made my choice. She stepped forward and kissed Natasha lightly on the lips, then pressed her forehead to Natasha's and looked into her eyes. A dominant needs a submissive, Volkova. Natasha, I can't be that for you. But she's out there somewhere and you'll find her someday. Natasha sniffed and wiped at her eyes. I thought you did not believe in destiny. At that... Russo flashed her wide, dangerous grin again, even though her eyes still brimmed with tears. I don't, she said. Doesn't mean I can't believe in you. Despite herself, Natasha smiled at that. She embraced Russo one last time, who returned it tightly. Then they parted, and Russo went back to the line and retrieved her bag. 
Natasha followed her at a distance, keenly aware of the MPs watching her every move. As Russo slung the bag over her shoulder again, she raised a hand to Natasha in parting. See you on the other side of this thing, Volkova, she called. Don't forget what we taught you. Natasha solemnly raised her own hand and watched as Russo turned and trudged up the gangway to the ship. Never, she promised. The End If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2022 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.